Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Marks, and this is Young History, a podcast about the history of every country in the world done in reverse order. What that means is that we start with the countries with the least populated numbers, and we work our way up through that population scale to get to the very last country on Earth, which will eventually, eventually, eventually be China. So today is episode 14, and today we are doing the country of Seychelles. Now, that is a country that not a lot of people knew, know of, and up until 1990s, absolutely no one knew about them except for people that were very, very well connected to the area and geographers themselves. So this country is absolutely stunning. It's becoming more and more popular as a honeymoon destination. It's one of the richest countries in Africa. It ranks very highly on the Human Development Index. The people here are both beautiful internally and very stunning externally, just like the islands that they live on. The capital is Victoria. It's made of 150 islands specifically, but out of those 150, it's very much like Tuvalu and Palau, where only three of them are populated. So specifically here, it's only three out of the 150. And Victoria, which is the capital, is actually the smallest capital in the entire world. And the islands that make up Seychelles are the only islands in the entire world that are made entirely out of granite. So this country has a pretty quick history. If I'm honest, it's kind of hard to find a lot of sources. I read through a lot of articles. I watched a lot of videos. I got some satirical ones. I got some serious ones. We got all sorts, but very limited when it came to the history overall, but we're still going to make an episode of it because the people here deserve that acknowledgement. They deserve that time. And I just want to do it because one, I love history. And two, I didn't know this country existed until I really started diving into history in the last few years. And it is stunning. Like, gotta be one of the top 10 most beautiful places on earth, like without a doubt. So I'm not going to hold it much longer than that. So one more time, this is Young History. My name is Alex Marks. And this right here is Seychelles. Let's do this thing. The early origins of this country don't actually start with a people group because these islands actually were, as far as historians can tell, were completely uninhabited until Europeans discovered it and began populating it both with their population and the enslaved population that they brought with them. So the first thing I'm actually going to reference when it comes to their history is going to be the very famous nut slash seed that comes from here, and that is the Coco del Mar, Coco del Mar nut. It's this giant nut that can weigh between 15 kilograms and 30 kilograms. It's the biggest one in the world, and it's also the most expensive because it's classified differently than macadamia nuts, which are technically the most expensive edible nut in the world. But these ones are huge, and they were called Coco de Mar, which is a name for the area, a name for like where they believe it came from. And then in English, it's more commonly called the love nut. That's because if you look at it, a lot of people have projected the idea that it looks like a woman's thighs and butt. And if you look up what the love nut is or the Coco de Mar nut, you will be able to judge that for yourself. But the resemblance is there. And it was earlier believed when they were first found, which was on Indonesia and that area of the world, that they came from a mythical place. They came from an underwater city like Atlantis or something of the sort because it had never been seen anywhere else on Earth. As historians would go back through history and research the Seychelles at they would get the information from the European catalogs and stuff that were on Seychelles in the time period. 
the Coco del Mar nut was actually found there by Europeans, and they saw that the trees grew it. And once the trees were found, the like weird rumors and stories didn't even stop there because these are one of the specific plants on Earth that have genders or sexes, and the male tree actually does kind of have like growths that look very phallic, and people used to think that the male tree would impregnate the field tree, the female tree at night. And then the, the story given to why no one had ever actually seen it happen was because if you saw it, you would die. And of course that's ridiculous and that's not something people commonly believe anymore, but for a long time that's what's believed to have happened. So that was one of the first things that connected this country to the rest of the world. Now, when it comes to people coming here, it starts with the Europeans and specifically Vasco da Gama, who was a very famous explorer that sailed a lot of the coast of Africa and eventually would sail much farther beyond that, making his mark doing that. And right here, he discovers Seychelles, which is in between Madagascar in the northwest and southeast of the Horn of Africa, where Somalia is today. He would discover this land and first mark it and name it in 1502. He actually for a time called it the Admiral Islands because he himself was an admiral, so he thought it made sense to name it after himself. And as I said, these lands were completely uninhabited before Europeans came here, so all they saw was the beauty of the trees and the rocks and the shape of the land. And he went, okay, cool, marked it down, moved on. The next big arrival would actually be about 100 years later when the British came in 1609, where they were the first ones to land on the island and start to explore it. And despite exploring it, they wouldn't actually settle it. They would just kind of mark different landmarks out, would start to bring it back to cartographers to help make a map off its descriptions and markings, things like that, but never really made it their own land to this point. As of 1742, all the way until 744, a man named Lazare Picoult was a Frenchman who also was an explorer. He started to walk around the area and really get the extra mapping done, exploring the not only the outer ring of the, each island, but all the ones in the area and giving them names and kind of seeing what they had to offer, checking to see if there was any native population there. And as he does that, France decides, we're going to annex this thing. So about a decade after he does this exploration in 1742, it's in 1758 that the French end up annexing this land. And the one they started with first was the island which Victoria is on today. And after that, it was by 19, I'm sorry, by 1768 that French sovereignty encapsulated all the current islands that make up the Seychelles. And in 1770, the first settlement was actually built on the island. And it didn't take long after them creating the settlement there and marking it as France for it to actually get a culture of its own that didn't have to do directly with France. And that was the fact that it became a refuge for pirates because even though it may seem like a more modern thing when there's, um, like we've seen with some movies made about Somalian pirates and stuff, that it's a modern thing that Somalia has had a lot of pirates in that area. This is a thing that actually happened hundreds of years ago is that area near Madagascar and by the Horn of Africa and all these things, there was a lot of pirating because it was so connected because that Indian Ocean that it's in connects to, of course, over a long trek, India, China, and it can get into parts of Egypt through the Nile. Like There's all sorts of places it can get to. It's close enough to South Africa. It's got all the connections. So this was a very pirated area. And when these islands first popped up, since there are so many of them, it wasn't easy to govern them and control what laws were being put in place and what, were being what was being enforced across all the islands. So a lot of 
different families started taking pirates and refuge them and this island really got the start to get its um culture of where this kind of pirate refuge and that lasted for quite a long time of course in 1770 when the settlement was established there's also the establishment of something else on the island that would be the fact that it would be used for slavery um, a lot of slaves would start to be brought by the french and specifically they would get it through them from their french west indies companies which they would sail around africa because they got a lot of them from senegal which is on the west coast and that was the main connection of their slaves using this area because it was the easiest to get them from there and loop under Africa rather than trying to fight the British for their land in Africa, things like that, or trying to like pay any taxes. They went through like all their very French areas to get this and introduce the horrible slavery that would be in this land for a long time. But never is slavery a good thing, but when it comes to culture... There wouldn't be the island culture that this country has today if it wasn't for the introduction of slaves to the land. And of course, these aren't just slaves. These are peoples. These were Senegalese, mostly, and just other Africans that came, that were brought here by the French. And eventually, this Seychellois kind of Creole develops from like the mix of the French language and native African tongue, get mixed into this land and becomes its own very unique culture from the people who were once enslaved here which is something to think about as we go through this. Now, jumping back, the name itself, Seychelles, is the more new term. It's kind of anglicized. I don't know how to pronounce the original. It was very similar. It was much more like French outing of Seychelles. And it was actually named after the French Minister of Finance under Louis XV. His name was like Louis Ardu Seychelles. His, last, his family name was Seychelles. So when this settlement was established in the 1700s mid 1700s which is when louis the 15th was ruling we do see this named after his minister of finance of course when you're under control with the french in the 1700s that means you get a big opportunity to do whatever you want from the year 1790 to about 1810 because the french revolution happened revolution happens and of course it happened here we're in Seychelles once the French Revolution happened and French troops were coming back to Paris to try and defend the king. They were going back to Versailles. They were going back to all these things that weren't having anything to do with Seychelles except for the fact that France controlled them and that was France. So these people actually declare independence for 20 years and they're able to hold it off for these 20 years. They start making their own customs. They really start to develop their own culture because the slaves that were brought here now weren't being controlled as much. So the ones that had masters that were also admirals or generals or soldiers, they were now more free than they were under the French, and they started to develop their early culture. But this doesn't last long. So the French are dealing with the revolution and Napoleon and the wars that Napoleon starts, all these things around 1810. Britain ends up arriving here and starts establishing their control and their kind of say on the land around 1811. The British arrived to take over this land in 1811. Then, because of all that was going on, it was very easy for them to take. They started to really move in and start to establish their presence. By 1814, after a lot of wars with Britain and France, negotiations are made in the Treaty of Paris, and it is fully given to the British. The British take it over, and they anglicize the name to Seychelles, which it is today, and they start to put their influence in, making the islands very English-speaking, and eventually putting in their further changes, which would last forever. One of those changes being the end to slavery, which was brought in 1834 to the entire British Empire. 
And this was a big area that Britain wanted to enforce the end of slave trade. They wanted to use this area to defend against Arab slave ships that would come through the area and, you know, any other smugglers of human trafficking, things like that. They just, this was the time when Britain was using their Navy to fight against slavery being spread. Since they got rid of it, they wanted everyone to get rid of it. Now that slavery had been eliminated from the islands, there had to be a change in the way Seychelles was ran because there was a big focus on very labor-intensive crops being used and stuff like that. And new crops had to be introduced that were less labor-intensive because no longer were people slaves, they were workers, or they were the people that actually inherited the land. So they weren't going to do this long, brutal work to make other people money or to make themselves money because they had just gotten out of that. So the thing they worked into was much more easy to tend for crops, specifically would be vanilla, coconut, and cinnamon, which this area of the world is famous for in general, Madagascar. And vanilla is some of the nicest in the world. I used to work at an ice cream shop that would use it specifically because of how smooth and sweet it is. And this area becomes very famous for producing coconuts. Seychelles is very famous itself for producing very nice cinnamon. And then, of course, Madagascar and Seychelles both produce a lot of vanilla. That pretty much wraps up the 1800s. From 1903 to 1904, we see a new change in the way they're going to be ran. Is a little more autonomy is being you know brought into the land. They've already been them like they've been free from slavery, and you know the French for about. 70 years now and they're really starting to get this idea of a national pride of who they are so the Seychelles begin negotiating with Britain so that they could actually become a crown colony and this happens in 1904 after a lot of negotiation and one of the things Britain actually uses this new specified crown colony for is actually to send away outlaws as a punishment to like lock them away on this island but See, the thing about Seychelles is it's not like it's Russia where you could send people to Siberia or America where you could send them to Alcatraz. This is a stunning island with great things to do and like stuff like that. So this idea that you were sending someone there as a punishment was kind of like a weird way to betray yourself because there's nothing that's a punishment about being in this beautiful land. Like it's a beautiful place. So if you were locked up here, I bet it could be bad, but the people are so famously friendly and warm and in the area is so be- like so beautiful and warm that it's like, you're not really punishing me. You kind of just sent me on a vacation forever, so thanks. But that's what happened to them while they were a crown colony. As time started to go on from there, the focus and system was being built more and more. People were now becoming very proud of who they were nationally as Seychelles, and they started to band together. One of the ways they banded together was in the League of Colored People, formed in the 1900s, which instigated for a better minimum wage and working status for the people. They wanted health care for the jobs they were doing from the government. And this is the early start to them starting to want independence because they're seeing more and more that they want to treat themselves and live in a certain way that is different than that of the way the British are running them because they are just an afterthought of the British. The British care about their people in mainland England first, and then they care about their colonies and even before like above that they care about their white colonists before they care about the black people that are in these colonies so as a majority black country they were being pretty sick of this in 1948 the first legislative council was found in seychelles of the population of 36,000, there were about 2,000 people that made up like what today is in america the one percent it was the landowners the major taxpayers things like that And of course, these are the people that were formerly slave owners and stuff like that, or descendants of slave owners. So they were the ones that made up 
most of this new council, and they were also very white. So they still were not quite representing what these Seychelles people wanted, as per usual. But it's a step in the right direction because now a legislative council was now being put into power to make decisions for itself directly in Seychelles rather than the British just saying something from Britain halfway across the world and like looping it down to Seychelles because that just isn't working the right way as we see now. More governmental changes come when a new constitution is writ and it brings a lot of specific changes, one of them being universal suffrage for all adults. Every single one gets the right to vote and elect their government and a governing council which was elected by its people will be put into place and this is also coming as a result of as this push is being made Britain grants self-government to these people that have shown they want it deserve it and won't go without it in 1975 self-governing comes so not long after that as we see with a lot of points throughout history with Britain as soon as someone gets self-government Britain realizes they don't really want to deal with them anymore, and they go, okay, we should we should just let go. As better people start to come into office in Britain, things start to change. So the thing that came with this self-governing at, and this new constitution was that a year after self-governing came was independence in 1976, and they fully break away from the UK. Now, as they were coming up ever since the forming of the first legislative legislative council in 1948, there was kind of divides in political parties. The ones that were within Seychelles started to clash heads really badly prior to independence, but they really banded together to earn independence. So once independence was gained and elections put certain people into power, a lot of peace was made. So the first president was a man with the last name Menkem, and there would also be a prime minister. There'd be a president and a prime minister. Not a lot of countries do this, but they would be opposing political parties, but they would run the country together, and a lot of trust would be built up between them, and this would end the history of betrayal for them. So in 1976, this is elected. History of betrayal between the two ends. And then in 1977, the first prime minister betrays the president. Yeah, it didn't last long at all, the peace the calmness between the two didn't last at all. So man in Menkem was the president and he was starting to study and do relations abroad while he was there. His prime minister, Rene staged a coup completely took over the presidency. Didn't let the true president back into the country. And he said, okay, yeah, this is this, this is my country. Now we're running this thing. And that's how it was. This Rene as president two years later would further sink his claws into controlling all the Seychelles without anyone being able to stand up. The, in 1979, he establishes a new constitution which eliminates the legality of any other political party existing except for his. So he turns the country into a one-party socialist state, making his own political party the only one that could legally exist. And this is right as the 80s are breaking, as I said, in 1979. Throughout all the 1980s, many, many coup attempts and assassinations would be temp- attempts would be made on Rene, but none of them would end up working. The thing that would end up working would be in the 1990s when a lot of the people who were given foreign aid to this land, because at this point it wasn't the highly developed and high, at this point they weren't the highly developed and very financially stable country they were to, they are today. They were much more living off financial aid and things like that. And one of the things Bringing that was, of course, other countries giving them foreign aid. And these countries started to see how corrupt the country's system was and started to threaten Renee and said, listen, we're just going to pull our funding away from your country and see what happens if you don't start to step it up and really decide that you're going to be a democratic state and allow for democratic elections. And so 
he would bring democracy back to the country in the 1990s because he would much rather have power to some degree and be in control in some degree by other people's rules rather than have no power at all. So in the 1990s, multi-party elections were brought back. And despite this, despite elections starting to become more free and fair, this Rene actually wins the next four elections up until 2004 because the people just weren't used to anyone else ruling. They had seen him for over a decade now, and he was so quick to replace their first elected president that they haven't really had life without him, and people didn't want to take the risk of electing someone that could be worse than Rene. So they just stuck with him for the ne- for a while, and you know, looking at where they turned out now, it doesn't seem like it was that bad of an idea because even though he was definitely a bad person and wasn't trustworthy and did a lot of shady things and like eliminated democracy for the country for a long time, the country eventually got to a good place. So it seems like the damage that he may have done wasn't irreparable. So it doesn't seem like a bad idea to just kind of stick with what you know. I understand that. Like whenever I vote for like a city mayor or something, and even if I don't know everything about the candidates... If I can, like, think pretty hard about how everything's, like, flowing in the in my city, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, unless this other guy has, like, a great plan that I don't know about, like, why, why would I vote this guy out? Who cares? So, I definitely understand. Also, in 2004 was actually a massive tsunami that rocked the Seychelles really bad that came from the East Indian Ocean, and it messed up the economy terribly, and... It would also have a subsequent effect, which would actually be a return to piracy in the lands. Now, the reason for this was the tsunami that hit the Seychelles so bad and this area near Africa, near Madagascar, all of that really messed up economics for a lot of people and it pushed a lot of people into poverty, into living a very poor lifestyle. So they had to turn to what they could to survive. And for some people, that was piracy. That was getting on boats and stealing what they could to get by. It was things like that. So... This 2004 tsunami ends up really pushing piracy to come back heavily in 2009. And it's not the kind of effect most people normally think about of something like a tsunami, but when the people who are already not doing great, kind of just getting by, get another like stone put on their back, like the, like, like they say, the straw that broke the camel's back, it's really hard for them to go on and not you know, make a hard decision of, okay, what's more important to me, like doing the morally right thing or staying alive? And I don't think it's crazy to think most reasonable people are going to pick stay alive by any means necessary and feed my family rather than, you know, die or starve or anything like that. So this really pushed the piracy up heavily over the next few years. The same countries that were giving foreign aid to the Seychelles would really start to step in and try and fight the piracy that was going on. And they would contribute some weapons. They would start to introduce some programs for people to be protected things like that, and eventually the problem starts to dwindle, despite, you know, events still happening here and there. We see, like, movies made about the Somalian pirates and stuff, but, you know, things are getting better, especially as time goes on. Now, that's going to wrap up the actual history. I, As I said, this would be a pretty quick episode, but I don't want to cut these people short and this beautiful, beautiful country short, so I'm going to just do some facts and get into some things about the present and the people with these with this country. So, yeah, I just wanted to do that and just show that this country has a lot to it and there's a reason it's becoming more and more popular over time and it deserves it. So here we go. The flag was introduced in 1996. There was a lot of different iterations of the Seychelles flag before. Right now it's a very unique flag. It looks almost like a rainbow, but it's missing a few colors. This one has five bands that like go diagonally across it. Going bottom to top, it starts as green, which is a green band for the land, environment, and the natural beauty of the country the white one is for social justice and harmony 
Harmony, the red one, is for the people and the work they put in towards unity and love. The yellow is for the ever-giving, ever life-giving sun. And the blue is for the sky and the waters all around the entire country. The Seychelles flag is very recognizable. It's one that's like very unique to any other one that's made to represent another country. So it's definitely one you're not going to forget. And when it comes to the Seychelles people, they're actually called Seychelles Creole, which is a majority of the country, making up about 70% of the population and there's also anglican Seychelles, franco Seychelles, which would be like british and french and there's a lot of madagascarian Seychelles, which make up a big part of the population as well and these people speak their own kind of dialect it's very similar to dominica where their time under france created their own kind of creole breakdown languages that's unique to their area which uses a lot of like creole dialect but it has its own breakdown and style of being spoken and things like that and when it comes to the present just some facts about this country a big reason it got so popular in the last few decades is that the world miss beauty pageant was held there in 1997 and 1999 and the huge media coverage that came for this event of course in its production of the show and all that showed a lot of the beautiful landscapes and where they were and facts about the country and people that were at the event were from the country so people were seeing these gorgeous people walking around they were seeing this gorgeous land and these rocks they'd never seen before and things like that it started to draw in a lot of tourism that is still lasting today because as more people have gone more people have started to promote the island which has caused it to be more tourism it's a big positive circle that sounds great of course tourism has its negatives but it's really stimulating the economy here and that's what's making it one of the most highly developed countries in Africa. Another thing about this country is that it actually has some of the rarest and endemic birds in the world living here. There's a lot that only live on the Seychelles. And there's a lot of tours that will take you specifically to their nests and to see where they're flying and stuff. And it's very unique to see that, you know, so isolated is this place that there's still animals that came specifically from there and that haven't left for migration or anything like that. And another animal fact is that the oldest tortoise in the oldest tortoise in the world actually lives in Seychelles. It's believed to be 170 years old, named Esmeralda, weighing in at a whopping 670 pounds. And she is a beast. She's technically in the wild, but it's like a protected area so that no one does anything awful to her because, you know, humans are the worst. And yes, that's that's where we are. I mean, that's the Seychelles, that's the people, that's the history. I did my digging, but unlike Dominica, there's no, like, I'm not going to hit with the right hand of crazy KKK members or anything like that, and it doesn't have the same kind of, like, lore meme history that Andorra has. It's not as connected to the European continent, so it doesn't see things like Napoleon. It doesn't see all that, but as you saw with its connection to France and all that, it is very connected to European events and what was going on in Europe, so it still has its time in the sun, but with that, I'm going to wrap up that part and we're going to segue into the usual thing i like to do which is get us you know some insights some takeaway from this country and with the seychelles this takeaway and mindset would be to embody beauty and what that means is not just look nice or put on makeup or just do things that make you look good just outwardly it's what you take from your inside and push out from within you is there is a beauty in just smiling people are more beautiful when they smile when they're warmer countries are more beautiful when they are inviting and well taken care of the seychelles is gorgeous from literally top to bottom there's coastlines that are gorgeous the palm trees are gorgeous the birds are gorgeous the people like i i always call the people beautiful because 
people from around the world have their uniqueness and are beautiful, but these people are like just stunning. Like it's islands of supermodels, I swear. Like they're gorgeous. And it's not just for the fact that they are just beautiful looking people. They're people that are known for their kindness. They're known for their warmth. They put out a lot of love. They invite tourists in with open arms. They accommodate very well. Things like that. And despite some people having some travel like nightmares here because there's just a language gap and like some of the people who are running hotels are not quite embodying like the Seychellian mindset, the Seychellese mindset. It's it's made some people have a weird taste, but just from me, what I take away from this is just take the beauty in from things and take the beauty in from yourself and your life and what you have to offer that is truly beautiful, which is your love, your support, your advice, your mindset. Those are beautiful things. Very few people are able to sit down and ground themselves and say, this is what I believe. This is who I am. I can look at myself in the mirror and feel a certain way. I can say things to you that aren't surface level and be deep. That is beauty to me. It is deep. It is strong. It is beautiful. And that's what it is. So these people are beautiful. They live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And that's what I think of when I think of what is the best thing to take away here. So that's all I can say. I'm going to leave it on that beautiful note, pun intended. And that's that. So this beautiful little country or this beautiful little country, which is a group of a bunch of islands in the Indian Ocean is very unique. It is very beautiful, so I'm going to leave it on a beautiful note. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for watching, as always. And this was the Seychelles, so I hope you'll be here next time. I hope... I don't even know what country we're doing next. I actually have no idea. I believe we're hopping back to the Caribbean, so I could be wrong about that, but we'll see. So either way, I hope you're here, and either way, I'm very, very happy that you came to listen and learn about this beautiful island, which one of y'all are going to have your honeymoon at. I know I'm sure going to try. So thank you guys so much for being here, and that was The Seychelles. Bye-bye. <laughs>